You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie's off tonight. A Vancouver police crackdown on violent shoplifters shows just how serious the problem has become. As Ramina Dea reports, the three-week blitz ensnared dozens of repeat and violent offenders recovering thousands in stolen goods. No employee should have to start their shift in fear of being robbed, threatened, assaulted, or worse. What is your greatest fear? Well, I think it's someone honestly getting hurt seriously, right? Um, but, uh, you know, there's also the psychological impact of coming into work. This was obviously very alarming to us. In response to this, the VPD initiated Project Barcode. The goal to arrest chronic and violent shoplifters. 28 Vancouver businesses participated in the Vancouver Police Initiative from February 18th to March 10th. During the 24-day crackdown, 280 thefts were investigated. 217 people arrested with a criminal resume of 4,695 previous convictions. 47 were repeat offenders. 278 charges were recommended. We don't know how many charges were actually laid. Almost $80,000 in merchandise was recovered and returned. And 24 weapons were seized, mostly knives. Vancouver police cited multiple cases in which violent suspects were arrested, charged, but later released by the court. If somebody is charged with an offense and they're back out committing the same offense within a couple of days, potentially hurting somebody, then something isn't working in the system. Police say shoplifting is vastly underreported. They're urging victims to come forward, but many businesses have given up. Unless it's serious, they don't bother calling 911 anymore. The, the alarm is being sounded. This is a real problem. Um, I'm originally from the States. Uh, lived in San Francisco. We've all seen those videos of, you know, people on bikes coming through and just taking hundreds of things and going up. Like, we are on the cusp of that. We do not, that is not what we want for our city. Romina Dea, Global News. Now, two of the cases singled out by the VPD highlight the problem of repeat offenders, especially a man with 37 prior convictions threatened staff at two separate dollar stores within a block of each other before stealing merchandise. He was charged and released. Another repeat offender threatened to kill the staff at a clothing store before taking some merchandise. He was arrested four times during the three-week blitz, also charged and released. Now, bear spray has become the weapon of choice in some shoplifting cases, and it's been used increasingly in several targeted and random attacks. Now, Vancouver is the latest city to put in rules limiting sales to adults only. Amaragahi reports on the details. Police and paramedics responded to Burnaby's Metro Town Mall after someone used bear spray during a fight between teenagers Tuesday. On the same night in Surrey, more than a dozen people were sprayed at a movie theater. Just two recent examples of the spray being used as a weapon. There's rarely a legitimate use for carrying bear spray in the city of Vancouver. There's not a lot of bears here. City Councillor Pete Fry, part of a unanimous vote this week, making the sale of bear spray to minors illegal in Vancouver. Stores carrying bear spray now have to lock it up in a safe area. Ask buyers to show ID to prove that they are at least 18 years old and to keep records of the sale for up to one year. 
Certainly some people do carry bear spray for personal defense, but I think we're seeing an increased number of people carrying bear spray for offensive purposes. Fry wonders if the bylaws could even go a step further and regulate unlawful possession of bear spray. We fully support this uh, initiative. Violent incidences of bear spray uh, have been on the rise. We've seen it in uh, situations of violent shoplifting incidents. Um, we know that it's used on the downtown east side in the commission of, of uh, a lot of offenses. Uh, we've also raised a lot of concerns about the increases or the increase of youth possessing bear spray and using uh, bear spray in violent incidences. Youth violent bear spray offenses have seen a surging increase since 2018. During that time, teenager assaults using the product have gone up 135 percent, robberies 83 percent, and threats by 116 percent. The issue of, of bear spray is a bit of a complex one. When pressed on the subject, the province says it's not ready to issue a province-wide direction. And there's many parts of BC where, you know, uh, bear spray, is, you should make sure you've got it when you go out. Um, I think the challenge is, obviously, in urban areas. In the meantime, BC has requested the federal government make it harder for violent offenders using bear spray to be released on bail. Emadagahi, Global News. City Council in Vernon has endorsed a new plan to prevent gun and gang violence. With at least two serious incidents late last year, one of them fatal, Vernon has become all too familiar with gun crime. The new program would target at-risk youth with intervention by reducing wait lists for support and establishing an indigenous peer mentorship program. The reason I think this strategy is really important is because it's long term. This isn't a short term, um, you know, someone's about to, you know, turn to a life of crime tomorrow. This is actually about building resilience and strength and, and health for young people really early on in their life. The city now has to apply for more federal funding to implement the plan's recommendations. One man is in hospital in serious condition after a police-involved shooting in Duncan last night. Police say they fired shots after the man crashed into several police cars while driving a stolen piece of construction equipment. As Kylie Stanton reports, the man's fiance says he had been in a serious car crash earlier in the day. <laughs> Police cars box in a front-end loader, and still it manages to get through. Definitely once-in-a-lifetime thing that we'll see. According to BCRCMP, officers responded to a report of a man who appeared impaired driving a track loader skid steer down a residential street in Duncan. Officers attempted to stop him, but say there were collisions between the loader and police vehicles. We just heard screeches from the tires, and um, you know he just kept going. Uh, and then in the end, we heard five gunshots, and that was the end. I um, get, a f get a call at midnight last night that uh, Devin was shot by the police. Sarah Brown has been at her fiancé's bedside here at Victoria General Hospital ever since. She says Davin Cochran has undergone brain surgery and is in very serious condition. He got shot in the head twice. <laughs> not good. The matter has now been handed over to the IIO. At this point, it is unable to confirm the number of shots fired, but the incident is under investigation. All of those things will go into the uh, our determination about whether or not the police action was justified in this matter. They could have tried something else, maybe tear gas. They could have tried something else. <laughs> 
Brown says it should never have gotten to this point, telling Global News Cochran has had dealings with police in the past, but has been clean and sober for three years. Still, he was struggling with his mental health. She says he was in a car accident Tuesday afternoon that landed him in Duncan Hospital. And he had left the hospital, apparently he was acting erratic. How he acquired the piece of machinery is still unknown, but what Brown is certain of is her fiancé was not in a sound mental state. Now my daughter may not have her dad, and I don't get my partner, my best friend, and that's not okay. Kati Stanton, Global News. More fallout today from the federal budget. The province expressing optimism that Ottawa will still come to the table to help fund one of the biggest transportation projects in B.C. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this. Keith, the Massey Tunnel Project is one the province really can't complete without some federal money. So what have you learned? It wasn't mentioned in the budget. It was not mentioned in the budget. You're quite correct, Chris. It's a $4.1 billion project, very expensive. Well, obviously, BC is looking for federal uh, funds here. But just because it's not mentioned in the budget, as I mentioned last night, doesn't mean it's actually in the budget. And we've seen that in provincial budgets and federal budgets alike. Not all details of a budget are released on budget day. They tend to be re-released or released anew through the months, through the fiscal year. A point Rob Fleming, the Transportation Minister, made today in the hallway of BC, uh, hallway of the legislature, she's, he's expressed optimism at the end of the day as I said last night the feds are going to be there with some money for this very valuable and important project and we certainly made that point uh, to Ottawa that if you look at the uh, commercial uh, vehicles that are heading southbound to the United States border uh, the highway 99 and uh, replacing that tunnel uh, is critical for goods movement and economic development and uh, they understand that so we expect uh, consideration and it's, uh, it's not the only kick of the can uh, so we're, we're hoping that uh, we'll be able to reconvene with our federal counterparts and have something good to, to announce together. Yeah, so look for that proverbial photo op to take place sometime in the upcoming fiscal year, Chris. You're going to see the federal transportation minister, perhaps even Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on hand with his counterpart, either David Eby or uh, with Rob Fleming. Just as we saw with the SkyTrain extension into Surrey and Langley, the Prime Minister was there for that. It's more than likely we're going to see him at a similar event sometime in the year. And keep in mind, it's no longer going to be called the Massey Tunnel when this thing is built. It's going to have a different name. Massey name is going to be retired. We don't know what the new name is going to be, but right now in the provincial budget, it's referred to is the Fraser River Tunnel Project and no longer the Massey Tunnel Project. Nice little detail. All right, thanks very much, Keith. The Squamish Nation says it intends to develop more than 140 hectares of land from the Sunshine Coast to North Vancouver. Much of it is prime waterfront property. They aren't exactly sure what they'll build yet, but as Julie Nolan shows us, when they do, they'll build it on their own terms. This land is owned by the Squamish Nation and it's prime for development. We are keenly aware of the housing shortage and the crisis that's facing the Lower Mainland and this forms part of the solution. Taking charge of their future, the nation is putting a moratorium or a pause on development applications for the coming year. It's hard for us to evaluate um, standalone third-party proposals relative to other types of opportunities that could happen, um, but also to ensure that we're protecting our interests. 
Following the nation's success with the Sanok development along False Creek, they're controlling the future of those lands. They see it as four high-priority sites in Squamish territory, with the first located in the Squamish Valley and the Sea to Sky Corridor. Next up is an area about four kilometers south of the Langdale Ferry Terminal on the Sunshine Coast, where there are no active leases on site. Also in their long-range capital plan is looking at projects along Marine Drive in West Vancouver, surrounding the northern portion of the Lionsgate Bridge, these parcels of land are currently vacant and undeveloped. And finally, spots in North Vancouver on the north side of the Burrard Inlet, where the nation's headquarters are located. Divided into several slices around current infrastructure, the nation hopes to clarify direction in the coming months. Hopefully after the work that is undertaken this year, we would have more of that information to share more broadly and hopefully more exciting announcements in the future. City of North Vancouver Mayor Linda Buchanan says it's an important step forward for the nation in advancing self-determination and prosperity for generations to come. The nation says they'll work with partners who are committed to reconciliation. It's not, you know, about us getting a seat at the table. It's that we are building the table and inviting others to it that we are actually building partnerships that benefit both of our communities. And exploring what's actually possible while building intergenerational wealth for their people. Julie Nolan, Global News. And as Julie mentioned, the Sanok development at the south end of the Burrard Bridge is well underway. This month, excavation continues. A temporary water line has been installed, as well as temporary drainage lines for stormwater. The towers will house 6,000 new homes, with the first of three towers expected by 2025. A popular Penticton market is worried about the impact a new bike lane will have on its business. Owners of the South Main market say the final phase of the lake-to-lake -lake bike route will take away 70% of its parking spaces, including all of its street parking. The protected bike lane, they say, will also make it more difficult for deliveries. The owners are worried it will impact the more than 450 customers the market serves every day. They are hoping the city will make some adjustments in the final design phase. They seem to very much want to stick with sort of the rules that they've came up with. And yeah, we're, we're just really concerned because the first drawing is not... It, it, we, we have a lot of concerns over it. We totally understand. Uh, it's a very successful, very uh, fantastic business. It's an, it's an amenity to the community in the area. Um, so we're working really closely with them to try and find a solution that is going to work for everyone. Work on the final phase of the $8 million, seven-kilometer-long lake-to-lake bike route is set to be completed by the fall of next year. One more aggravation when you fly. A new fee that bumps the price of your ticket even higher. What it's going to pay for next on the News Hour. Like something out of a Wild West movie, CN police are investigating a train robbery near Kamloops. What we know about it coming up. Plus, here I feel like sometimes it's a little bit of magic. How music therapy is helping some of the youngest patients in hospital coming up later. Right now, though, Tuesday's federal budget promised to take action against so-called junk fees that increase the cost of living for Canadians. Ticket surcharges and baggage fees as an example. But the same budget is actually increasing one fee for air travelers, and Travis Prasad has the details. Have you just joining the security line? 2022 wasn't exactly a banner year for air travel. This is insane. We come to the airport on time as requested. 
and then we line up for a zillion miles. As pandemic restrictions eased, terminals got a lot busier, and Canada's major airports weren't ready. From hours-long lineups at security to loads of lost luggage, frustration was high. I don't know when we're going to get it together here, but it would be great if they would. The federal government thinks it has the answer to the bottlenecks. In the budget unveiled this week, the Trudeau Liberals included a big boost in funding for CATSA, the crown corporation responsible for airport security workers. $1.8 billion over five years to improve airport screening times and strengthen security measures. There's no free lunch. Somebody ultimately has to pay the bill. And that somebody is the traveler. The air travel security charge will increase on every plane ticket sold starting next year. I don't like it myself because I travel a lot. As long as the money's going to a good place, I guess. The hike would see security charges for round-trip domestic travel jump nearly $5 to $19.87 per ticket. For round-trip U.S. flights, it's a more than $8 increase. And for all other international flights, security charges rise by almost $9 to $34.42. The higher those fees, the more I'm starting to wonder if it might not be more economical to pay for it from the public purse, even though it may not be fair or just in the short term. I think we should just bite it, this one, because... What can you do? I mean, we're not going to stop traveling, we're not going to stop flying. It's a bit on the high side, but um, if it stops the chaos, then it's probably worth it. The higher cost comes at a time when airline tickets are in extremely high demand. And because of that, there has been a real rise in airfares. It's the highest that I've ever seen. Uh, certainly post-pandemic, we don't have as many aircraft in the air. We have, uh, we have labor shortages. Whether the money helps ease airport pressure remains to be seen. But what is clear? It's yet another expense for Canadians to grapple with. This is not the right time. You see, like, not only taxes, everything is getting increased. And, and then you impose these kind of things. Oh. Travis Prasad, Global News. And you can add transit fares to the things you'll be paying more for in Metro Vancouver this year. The TransLink board has voted to increase fares by an average of 2.3% effective July 1st. TransLink says the vast majority of customers will be paying roughly 5 to 10 cents more per trip. It says even with the increase, transit users in Metro Vancouver still pay some of the lowest rates in the country with a one-zone cash fare of $3.15. Children 12 and under continue to be free. Um, what we were hoping was that TransLink would uh, reconsider and not raise the fares for youth because what we're trying to do is achieve free transit for youth 13 to 18, and this is definitely taking a step backward. Ma feels the fare hike will discourage young people from taking transit and learning good habits about how to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Coming up, the battle over a birth certificate. The province has come up with an interim solution. Parents score a win to name their children what they wish. And just be nice. Vancouver lays down the law to organizations it grants money to. A little bit of extra traffic here eastbound on Highway 1 through Vancouver just recently cleared a police incident near Grandview Highway. BCA member, save three cents per liter off fuel at Shell plus 10% off in-store purchases and car washes. Conditions apply. Visit shell.ca slash BCAA. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 and Grandview Highway.
Some Vancouver City Councilors are warning nonprofits don't bite the hand that feeds you. At a meeting this week, councilors in the majority ABC party said groups applying for grants need to be respectful in how they communicate. Kristen Robinson has reaction to the new messaging. Check out this book. Employ to Empower focuses on training and mentorship. The grassroots charity, which helps low-income individuals become entrepreneurs, among 125 recipients of 6.2 million in city grants approved by Vancouver Council. Christina Wong says the $30,000 in funding will help her team support 170 entrepreneurs this year. When we face disabilities or chronic health challenges, it's like really hard to work a nine to five. So it's a really a big sense of autonomy and empowerment for to give people the opportunity to do things that they're good at, they're passionate about, and they're skillful at. So really, it's a transforming one life at a time. The cash is crucial for nonprofits. Last year, council approved 836 arts, culture, and community services grants worth $34.6 million to some 500 organizations. Is it too broad? Are we trying to do too much? The new ABC Majority Council calling for change. I felt that the granting process was severely flawed, um, and it needs an overhaul. Peter Meisner suggesting an amendment that would require grant recipients communicate with city officials in a respectful manner and be nonpartisan. So this, to me, is a huge red flag. Pete Fry quickly tabled another amendment to remove the nonpartisan reference. It would effectively stifle any kind of like political opposition or even just difference of opinion. As politicians, we are fair game for, for legitimate criticism, and I think that that should be enshrined, uh, and it shouldn't be a condition of getting a grant. It can place a chill on, on free expression among those who uh, are among the most active in, in the city's politics, who are really trying to, to do work in, in, the, in the community, that, that they should have to park their political views at the door in order to do that work is, is problematic. Fry's amended amendment, which does not limit political criticism, passed unanimously, although one city councillor, Christine Boyle, regrets her vote. City staff will report back in June with a comprehensive review of social and cultural granting programs. Kristen Robinson, Global News. An Indigenous boy on Vancouver Island has become the first in the province to have his name on his birth certificate written in Kwakwala. You can see it right here. The family sued to make it happen, but they say it won't be a true victory until every Indigenous parent has the same right. Catherine Urquhart reports. I'm just going to try and cover up the numbers. Raymond Shaw and Crystal Smith have finally received their 14-month-old son's birth certificate. The first ever in BC to have his name recognized. It's definitely something to be celebrated. From where I'm from here in Cam River, um, everybody's seen Getting the Indigenous name, Glugwalus, on their baby's birth certificate is precedent-setting, but didn't come easily. It required going to B.C. Supreme Court and filing a petition after B.C.'s Vital Statistics Agency rejected the name three times. I don't think we received an apology. Um, it was just, we will do this and um, here you go. The Campbell River parents are calling on the province to allow Indigenous names for others as well, noting their son is named after a place and it's deeply meaningful. Lugolas means the place where people were blessed, and it's a mountain in Lochborough Inlet. They've now set their sights on getting a passport for Glugolas, preparing themselves for challenges that may come with that 
as well. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Just ahead, no remedy for a doctor's frustration. He offered a solution to keep the Merritt ER open, but a lot of people aren't happy with the response he got from Interior Health. Plus... He's going to need a lot of extra love from his big sister. I can do that. The buzz about a made-in-BC movie, a family facing the realities of autism. Good evening. Crews are on scene to a crash here in Richmond. It's westbound on the Highway 91 near the S-curve, right near Nelson. Traffic is able to squeeze by through the center. Today's Lotto 649 gold ball jackpot is $54 million, plus a classic $5 million jackpot, two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash on Highway 91 in Richmond. This sounds like a crime out of another era, but it happened just this week. A train robbery just outside Kamloops. The incident happened Monday morning around 7 a.m. at Tranquil and Ord Roads near the Kamloops Golf and Country Club. The CN train was stopped at the time. No crew members were hurt, and it's unclear what, if anything, was stolen from the train. Police say an armed suspect, described as a white man about 5 foot 8 inches tall, between 30 and 40 years old, took off in a white sedan. Anyone with information is asked to call Kamloops RCMP or CN Police. Emergency room closures in Merritt are an ongoing concern, prompting residents to search for creative solutions. But despite one lower mainland doctor stepping up to offer his services, Interior Health has denied him the opportunity. Jasmine King has more. Emergency room closures at the Nicola Valley Hospital in Merritt are more and more frequent and some believe could be a matter of life and death. We have these three mountain pass highways, the Coquihalla highways, all emerging into our town. And I mean, if that ER is closed, someone's going to die. Someone will die here. The closures are in part being attributed to staff shortages. However, one doctor who works in a hospital in New Westminster offered his services to the hospital and interior health. We have a, a very well-qualified surgeon in our midst who is willing and able to help out his, his town that he lives in, and IHA is denying him. Dr. Robert Granger lives in Merritt and currently works as a surgeon for Fraser Health. He told Global News due to his position, he can't speak on camera, but confirmed he did offer to work a few days at the local Merritt Emergency Department so it wouldn't have to close. However, his credentials aren't being rubber stamped. IHA determined that he needed to have more qualifications as a general practitioner in order to uh, do ER shifts in Merritt. Interior Health says it can't comment on individual cases, but says provincial requirements need to be met before doctors can be approved to practice. In order to provide medical services in an IH acute care facility, physicians must meet the credentialing, training and currency requirements for the specialty area in which they want to work. Where physicians may not meet the full requirements, Interior Health is committed to ongoing conversations. Merritt residents say this has become an uphill battle and if a solution is presented, they would at least like it considered. We want them to make a decision now. We want it based on the fact that Dr. Rob uh, Robert Granger is here now, and if it's not him, it needs to be somebody else. But we need that operator, that emergency room to stay open 24-7. No more closures. None. Both Dr. Granger and Merritt's mayor told Global News they will be meeting with Interior Health in the coming days to see if a remedy can be found. Jasmine King, Global News.
The Vancouver Aboriginal Health Society is launching a mobile primary care centre to help at-risk women on the downtown east side. The van will operate three days a week, parked outside the downtown east side women's centre, Cosmopolitan Hotel and Ravens Lodge. No health card or appointments are required to access the services it provides. Organizers say their aim is to minimize health care gaps for vulnerable women. What's very unique about this specific um, van and program is that it's primary care. So we're hoping to really provide, um, you know, long-term, sustainable, continued care for women. We have to take care to where people are. We can't set up systems that require people to come to us. We can't set up systems that have barriers for people. We have to take down those barriers. The program will offer services like pap smears, birth control, and sexual health testing. Just ahead of World Autism Day on Sunday, a Vancouver-produced feature film is set to hit theaters, showing the impact autism can have on families. And as Jennifer Palmer reports, it loosely follows the life story of the film's producer, writer, and director. It means he's not always going to be able to tell us what he needs or wants, so we're going to have to pay extra special attention to him. Family life is complicated, and a new movie is tackling what happens when a tight sibling bond between brother and sister is tested, and it's inspired by the film's producer, Connie Kokia's own life experience. I have a beautiful relationship with my brother. You know, there's some common stereotypes in the autism community, and I think my brother's a shining example, just like our character, Caden, of breaking some of those stereotypes. He is so friendly and outgoing. When Time Got Louder depicts a college-bound woman exploring her independence and sexuality, leaving behind her family, a nonverbal brother living with autism. Kogia wanted the film to be as authentic as possible, hiring members of the LGBTQ plus and autism communities for the movie, including main character Jonathan Simeo, who lives with autism. I actually felt this was a great opportunity for me to come out and actually show this side of myself that I've had like buried for so long. According to a 2019 Government of Canada survey, 1 in 50 or 2% of Canadian children aged 1 to 17 years were diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. The movie seeks to bring understanding ahead of World Autism Day on April 2nd. Nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be afraid of, because, you know, two neurotypicals could be sitting in the same room and they too will have different brain chemistry and it's the same thing with people on the spectrum. What I'm trying to understand is how... In the, the movie opens in select Canadian theatres, including Vancouver and Toronto, March 31st. It'll be on demand as well by the end of April. No one is ever going to be there for him more than me. Jennifer Palma, Global News. And just ahead on the news hour, lessons from a child. Ilya, I... I chose to be a tiny bit mad, but, but after a while, I was okay. Wise words from this Prince George youngster in a video that makes me laugh and is going viral. That's coming up right after Christie's forecast. And later in sports, Canucks impact player Dakota Joshua and how he seems to be thriving under new coach Rick Tockett. From the stories that touch the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. 
Christy Gordon's here now with a look at the weather. Christy, we took the covers off the patio furniture today. Too soon or mm. the right time? No, absolutely not. I, as the sooner the better, in my opinion, when it That's comes right. to patio That's right. uh, stuff. You know, actually, we've been showing signs of spring over the last little while. We've uh, showed sort of the um, geese flying north was one of them, and then we show the blossoms, and we've got another one in our weather window as well. Uh, signs of spring, patio furniture coming out as well as one of them. All right, today we saw blue sky across the region. It wasn't quite as warm as what we saw yesterday along the coast, but it was in the interior where we warmed up to, or interior, away from the water for the lower mainland, 17, 18 degrees. But we did see a bit of high-level cloud towards the end of the day. Here's a look at those temperatures. Near the water, 12, 13. Yesterday, we were at 16 degrees, so a little cooler, as I mentioned, near the water. And tomorrow is going to be a little cooler still, but we are still expecting sunshine. Those of you in the interior, double digits. Quinell as well hit double digits at 10 degrees. We are expecting, though, uh, a little bit of a change tomorrow. So although we're going to see mainly clear skies by the afternoon hours, you can see a little bit of instability. So cloud development is expected by the afternoon. We're not expecting anything in terms of substantial more moisture though until Friday and yes that means rainfall throughout the day in fact a chance of showers will push in Thursday night here's a look at your forecast for tomorrow so a chance of flurries for the BC Peace River area sunshine across the rest of the region as I mentioned we'll see some isolated clouds pop up in the afternoon but still double digits expected although a touch cooler compared to what we saw today but, you know, 13 to 15 degrees is still pretty nice. Friday, much cooler periods of rain expected, or uh, we will see uh, periods of rain and just a chance of showers into the weekend. All right, tonight's Central Windows weather window is coming to you from Delta, where Kathleen visited a sheep farm, and she said she captured some photos of cute little ones, and she said they were uh, just staring at her. Once they did see her, they were just staring directly at her, all of them. And little guy with some patches of uh, black and brown. All right, thanks Kathleen for sharing that with us. Very, very cute. And the cuteness continues right now. A very self-aware toddler from Prince George is going viral after a bedtime chat he shared with his mom was posted online. You, you hit me feelings, but you're not going outside, so that's why I didn't want to make This is four-year-old Aldi talking about the emotions he felt throughout his day. He explained he was upset about not going outside to play. His mom tells him that was a consequence, adding that people don't always get what they want. Aldi continues to reflect on the day before coming to this conclusion. But after a while, I was okay. You were okay? Mm-hmm. Life is like that. We get upset, we get mad, we cry. That's emotions, Mama. That's emotions, I know. And then we feel better after we cry. Yep. Oh my God, after exchanging their words of wisdom, Aldi and his mom share a hug and all is right in the world. What a cutie. Did you have moments like that with your boys, Christy? Uh, I, uh, moments of uh, <laughs> cuddles, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But awareness of emotions and right? sort of consequences, that is incredible for his age. Very mature. Uh, so cute. It is incredible. Mm -hmm. Oh, look at our cute little guy doing sports. There's Squire. Oh, thank you very hey. much. <laughs> Thanks. I think of you guys as my parents. I hope that doesn't bother it. you. You're the oldest <laughs> one here. Come on, let's be honest. That's weird. Will you just stop lying on TV, Chris? <laughs> Um, anyway, um, am I the oldest one? I'm not, I have to check that. I think uh, you are. We'll get some people to delve into that.
Uh, okay, so the Canucks are back home. Uh, we're going to talk about Dakota Joshua, who's had uh, a resurgence. He has really thrived underneath Rick Tockett and his system. We'll talk about that. Good to see that. All right, thank you, Squire. Also coming up. It's supporting really the family and the child together. The many ways music therapy hits the right note in the neonatal intensive care unit at Surrey Memorial. just talking about changes coming to baseball but take it well away. the pitch clock has made in in the uh, in the uh, spring training the games have gone about 26 minutes quicker than normal <laughs> okay the uh, Canucks got another point last night a three goal uh, comeback against St. Louis they took it to 5-5 went to overtime St. Louis won we have seen players for one reason or another really thrive of late perhaps it's the fact the pressure's off they're playing loose perhaps it's the new system of head coach Rick Tockett one guy who really seems to be finding a fit with Rick Tockett and the way he's been doing things is Dakota Joshua, who's been getting rewarded for his play by occasionally skating on the top two lines. It's easily his best year in the NHL. Dakota Joshua has 10 goals and 11 assists in 71 games this season. His dedication to improving his game has caught the eye of coach Rick Tockett. When I first got here, I thought he was slept, you know, the sleepies every once in a while, you know, like you didn't notice him, but... I'm not seeing that much anymore. I'm seeing a guy that uh, has really added to our team what we're, we were lacking. It helps uh, coming from that guy, and obviously he does have a, a few tips and, and pointers on the offensive side of things, but also you know knows what it takes to, to stick and, and, and make a role for yourself in this league, which uh, he did very well for, for a long time. 18 years in the NHL, Tockett racked up 492 goals, which is even more impressive when you consider the fact that he was in the penalty box for over 3,000 minutes. He was an all-around player, and that's something Joshua's been working on. Just trying to find that role and, and where I fit, um, and then crafting that to make sure that uh, no one can take that away from me and that I'm doing that every night uh, has been uh, a fun process, and I'm glad to see it paying off now. This has been his most productive stretch of the season. He has four points in his last four games and even played a part in the tying goal against his former team, the St. Louis Blues, on Tuesday night. But there are still some things he can work on to take his game to the next level. How to position yourself to get those goals? How do you position yourself for body position? Uh, being a wall guy, he's getting even better at that. And those guys can, you know, if he can get that level, you can play him with great players. He got that chance against the Blues, being the physical forward on a line with Elias Pettersson and Andre Kuzmenko, a glimpse at a role that might suit him in the future. Whether it's this year or next year that we're looking for, that is there more ice time for him? Is there more responsibility? Is he a guy that you can put him on the second unit of a power play? These are certain things that they're up for grabs. Uh, now it's his job to bang the door down and go, go grab it. The Vancouver Canucks say they will wear their Pride Night warm-up jerseys before this Friday's game against Calgary at Rogers Arena. Now, a few teams in the NHL decided not to wear the Pride warm-up jerseys. Of course, a few players have as well, but the Canucks are going ahead with it as planned. Yeah, I think that everyone in this room is looking forward to it, and um, I know in our, our organization, everyone's welcomed, and, um, you know, every time we've done the Pride Night, you know, I've worn a jersey and, um, you know, celebrated the night. 
The Canucks have signed free agent defenseman Akito Hiroshi out of Minnesota State University. Now, he'll be very well known to BCHL fans. He played with the Salmon Arms Silverbacks for four years. He was our captain for a while. He was also the BCHL's top defenseman in 2019 and 2020. So that 4-1 four win, four win over Honduras last night moved Canada into the final four of the CONCACAF Nations League tournament. That'll finish down in Vegas in June. Canada will play Panama on June 15th in a semifinal. The other final four game, the USA against Mexico. Then the two winners will meet at Allegiant Stadium, the Raiders' home, on June 18th for the Cup. Meanwhile, our women's national team is a World Cup to get ready for this year. And Canada soccer still hasn't resolved all the issues that hampered our women's performance at the She Believes Cup in February. Canada is scheduled to have a warm-up game against France on April 11th as part of a training camp. Head coach Bev Priestman is optimistic that this game will not be overshadowed or possibly cancelled because of issues between the players and the organization. I think everybody, myself, the organization, the players, absolutely don't want what happened in the last window. I think we all felt it. I came out of it and... Yeah, felt like I'd been run over by a bus. So if I felt like that, I'm not sure how the how the players felt. But I think there's a there's a common goal to resolve whatever can be resolved. But I think, you know, obviously for that to happen, there's still some negotiations and, and talks happening. But um so far players' flights are booked, everything like that, and preparing uh, you know, to, to play against France. And Blue Jays start the uh, Major League Baseball season tomorrow against St. Louis. Another sure sign of spring. All right. Thanks, Squire. Up next, the, he yeah, the healing powers of music and medicine. Next. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what they're working on for Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, a closer look tonight at the province's housing strategy for the downtown east side. The government is promising 241 housing units by June. The units will be newly renovated SROs. And as you know, SROs have been a magnet for filth and fires. So how will the province ensure these units don't end up with the same old problems? We put that question to the housing minister on Global News at 11. Chris? Look forward to hear what uh, they have to say. Thanks very much. And we're getting new insight now into the healing power of music when parents and tiny patients need it the most. Janet Brown takes us inside the neonatal intensive care unit at Surrey Memorial Hospital, where music and medicine meet. We all live in a yellow submarine. At Surrey Memorial Hospital's neonatal intensive care unit, rising above the baseline of clinical conversations and the cold tones of medical instruments, are the soothing melodies of music therapist Laura McLeod. In this environment, it can feel sterile and unfamiliar. And when music enters the room, all of a sudden there's this nurturing atmosphere, there's possibility, there's health, there's wellness, there's connection. So I feel like music is just this beautiful, magical glue. Surrey Memorial was the first hospital in the province to have music therapy, comforting babies and families with gentle lullabies in the NICU since 2018. All right. Hey, guys. Funded through the Hospital Foundation, McLeod says music helps to improve and maintain the quality of life of premature babies like Santiago, born at just 28 weeks. For us, a music therapy oh, means a lot. 
intention, emotions, connection. Of course, there are sometimes sad moments on this ward too, hearing the sound of music, offering a little bit of solace. In the NICU, there are all kinds of moments of news. We get good news and we get some pretty devastating news as well. It's been really meaningful for families to have music in those hard moments. From a clinical perspective, pediatrician Dr. Kira Deanshaw says the benefits of every chord can be clearly seen. We've seen physiologic as well as emotional improvement in terms of patient and parent bonding, as well as faster and early discharge, decreased anxiety levels regarding parents, as well as in the babies and their vital signs as well. When new life begins with hardship, this music allows medical staff, infants, and their families to slow down and take a breath, and to be held for just a moment by McLeod's harmonious melodies of healing and hope. Janet Brown, Global News. Just beautiful. And nice to have Janet on the news hour, too. Normally you'll hear her voice on CKNW, but great work on that story, Janet. Thank you. Okay, last word on weather before we go. One more day of sunshine. Enjoy it, everyone. Big change expected on Friday. And as I mentioned before, it's not going to be a soaker of the week of a weekend, but still remaining unsettled with rain sort of on and off. So, yeah, use tomorrow. I don't mean skip out of work. I just mean try and make sure you have a little bit of time outside. Recharge the batteries with the solar rays. Thanks very much, Christy. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.